Hello, heathens, and welcome to Spinning the Wheel podcast with me, your ecstatically expanding and contracting host, Megan Angus. And this week, we are going to be discussing the astrology, the astronomy, the holy days, festivals, rituals, and heretical practices of Samhain season, new moon, solar eclipse in Sagittarius lunar week 41 by some lunar calendars around the planet. Um, once again, as I said last week, thank you so much everybody who's been tuning in and listening. Um, and the feedback is really awesome. I really appreciate it. If uh, you absolutely love this podcast, um, please send me some feedback about it. Is there something that you would like more of? Is there something you could possibly want less of? <laughs> is there something you could possibly want more of? <laughs> I give it all to you. <laughs> when, uh, no, you don't get it all. <laughs> um, but truly, it's really been um, incredible to do this. And uh, it sounds like a lot of folks are getting a lot out of this. And that is the idea. Um, I am hoping to open doors in your spiritual practices, your philosophical um, explorations, your religious traditions and um, occult traditions and practices in your life. Like, um, you know, learning how to see ourselves as modern pagans, modern magicians, modern heathens, witches, um, magic workers uh, in context with other people around the planet who are doing this stuff um, at this time, but also in the past and in the future, right? Um, and sort of understanding ourselves within the context of the human tradition of this kind of work and spirituality and, um, you know, philosophical exploration, as I said, and all of that stuff. Um, <laughs> can you tell that it's Sagittarius season? <laughs> We're getting very expansive in our thinking, right? We're getting really big and broad in our scope. Um, that's what's up. Uh, okay. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and uh, if you haven't, please, uh, you know, follow me or subscribe to me or give me a thumbs up or a review on whatever platform it is that you listen to this through. Um, if you're listening to it directly through my Patreon, cool. Thank you. You're already giving me the thumbs up. I appreciate it. But if you're listening to this through Anchor or Spotify or wherever you're finding it, um, uh, if you love it, let me know. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, also, as I mentioned last week, I will be announcing some classes for 2022 coming up soon. Um, I will be rerunning Welcome to Tarot, the six-week intensive workshop um, last week or last year. It was uh, that I ran earlier this year. I should say it was very popular. It was really fun. I'm super excited. I love this workshop. It's awesome. Uh, and I will also be offering some amount of standalone tarot workshops after that workshop that are going to be focusing uh, more specifically on certain elements of tarot and not tarot as a whole practice. Um, 
and other classes will be coming available as well. And last but not least, before we get into this week's stuff, uh, let me say that the next class that is coming up that is open to the public will be uh, Yule, a six-week guide to winter solstice. I will be live streaming this for free for the public and uh, the dimensions beyond on December 16th. Uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, the live stream will be available to watch after that if you can't make it, um, but we'd love to have you in chat. Come on down, leave a heart. <laughs> you can subscribe to my YouTube channel uh, to always know when the next video is popping up. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be diving into the history and all of the myth and symbolism and tarot and the astrology of the season of winter solstice, um, which we are already starting to see traces of, especially in this coming week as we step into December 1st and December proper um, and really into deep Sagittarius season, we really are starting to see our uh, winter imagery and wintertime deities and practices sort of step forward and go, okay, it's time to start engaging me. Let's get this stuff out of the closet and dust it off and ready for utilization. So, all right, that's enough of a goddamn introduction. Uh, what else do I want to say before I break off and start the next thing? <laughs> um, we are still in Samhain season. As much as we are getting ready to start to start winter solstice and, and Yule season, we're not there yet. Important to remember, Sagittarius is part of Samhain season and the stuff that we are doing in that season. As my friend Jess said the other day, Jessica Henry, the world famous tattoo artist, Jessica Henry. <laughs> you can find her at Lilith Tattoo. Um, said to me the other day, in Scorpio season, we fuck around and in Sagittarius season, we find out. <laughs> and that truly is, uh, you know, pretty close to the spirit of how Samhain season moves. At first it's this, you know, spooky carnival funhouse. Oh my God, it's a skeleton. It's a spooky monster. You know, that vibe of, of Scorpio. Um, and then as it moves into Sagittarius, it's like, oh, wait, this is like actually happening. Oh no. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what, what do I do? <laughs> what am I? <laughs> What's left? Um, so let's get into it. <laughs> uh, just to orient us on the wheel. Uh, deep in Samhain season, we are working with the imagery of life, death, rebirth, fate, and ancestors for witches and pagans, and our global themes in the current and past uh, festivals that we see around the world, um, endings, beginnings, transformations, fate and rites of passage, sex and death, and chaos. Um, all right, let's get into it. All right, December 3rd, we have a super new moon solar eclipse at... 12 degrees of Sagittarius at 11.43 p.m. Pacific Standard Time next day for pretty much everybody else around the planet, right? Okay, so first off, let's talk about the astronomy before we talk about the astrology. These, that's a, We have a lot of descriptor words added to this moon, right? Super new solar eclipse, Sagittarius, like what's going on? Okay, so first off, let us address that this is a new moon, Yes, but it is also a total solar eclipse. Now, solar eclipses happen when the new moon comes between the sun and the earth and casts 
the darkest part of its shadow called the umbra on Earth. Um, the eclipse specifically happens not only when all of those measures are met, but because it comes directly in between, um, it, it, it's also very close to the nodes. Um, it is, uh, and we talked about what the nodes are, no time this time, but we talked about what the nodes are two weeks ago in uh, Lunar Week 39 podcast, I believe, which was uh, the full moon in Taurus Um uh, lots of discussion there about the nodes and how they work, um, what they are scientifically as well as astronomically, their meaning. Um, we're going to talk about them more because they are about to change signs. I also have a bit of a guide up um, with a 45-minute podcast just exclusive for patrons um, on my Patreon. All right, enough of the show. Moving on. Um this is not going to be visible to almost anybody around the planet. Very, very southern tips of Australia, South America, South Africa. Um, Antarctica is going to have an amazing view of it. So, you know, my followers in Antarctica, what up? Shout out. Thanks for the support, guys. Um, you guys are going to have an incredible view. Otherwise, pretty much nobody else is going to be able to see it. Um, but as we said, the eclipses are really close to the nodes. And... So this is our uh, pack. This is our eclipse season. This is the second one that we're going to have. Um, they tend to travel in packs, um, two or three, sometimes even four at a time. We will get solar and lunar eclipses. We had a lunar. Now we're having our solar. And then our next ones aren't going to be until next year when we move into Taurus um, and Taurus season. Um so the full moon and the new moon there, we're going to have eclipses as well, uh, right on Beltane. One of them is going to be right on Beltane. What? But we'll talk about that then. Shh, don't tell anybody. That's coming up. So it's a big deal. All right. <laughs> okay. Now that's the, that's enough of the astronomy. Now let's talk about the magic and the astrology of an eclipse. So, um, if we look back through uh, religious texts and myth and folklore, um, eclipses, solar eclipse, as well as lunar eclipses, have tend to have a bad bad rap. Uh, tend to uh, be things that people were not excited about, uh, did not look forward to, uh, interpreted as an ill omen, interpreted as uh, this is a sign that something bad is happening, and understandable a you know perhaps these folks didn't understand planetary mechanics as well um you know we're talking about deities right uh, for a lot of civilizations when we look back through time the sun was a literal embodiment of a deity the moon was a literal embodiment of a deity and their light was being blotted out when like they were you know, you could count on their rising and setting like literal clockwork, right? <laughs> so, you know, to see them veer from their natural pattern in some way was really shocking to a lot of these civilizations. And a lot of them took it as um, a sign that this energy or this deity or uh, the power that it represented was like blocked or inhibited or just out of reach or not available for a moment that that energy was on pause in some way. Um, and there's lots of myths from various civilizations about trickster deities that swallow the moon or swallow the sun and have to be coaxed or fought or tricked 
into giving up the that that light source and that celestial body and, and releasing it back into the world. Um, so traditionally speaking, does not have a good reputation for doing ritual or doing magic with it or for it or anything like that, but instead a day for prayer, for reflection, for just being still, for, you know, cleaning your house, for resetting your magic, you know, giving offerings to your deities, giving offerings to your ancestors to support them while they go through this thing. And I have really, I have a lot of respect for that. I definitely think that that's something that's important to think about. In fact, that's a, that's a deep symbol of what is happening for us as we move out of Samhain season and into winter solstice season is that idea of like, even the sun dies, even, even these really powerful entities that seem immortal and seem sort of like universal, um, have some sort of a start, finish, reset something moment, right? Um, and that's, that can be really shocking to our psychology. Okay, we're gonna get more into that in the U class. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. <laughs> um, but here with Eclipse Magic, you know, I'm always going to encourage you to use your free will, listen to your intuition, listen to your gut, pay attention, think about stuff. Um, but if you, but here are, here are the going opinions of modern magicians and pagans and heathens who do think about should you or should you not should, quote unquote, we don't like the word should, uh, should we be doing magic with eclipses or should we just let the energy lie? and be chill. Um, so one opinion is that both bodies are united in one sign. They are combined, that it is an incredibly potent time for magic. You have the moon and the sun in the exact same place in the sky. So it's like super drilling down, super, super potent. Another opinion is that you have like a year's worth of seasons in one moment where you have the, the moon or the sun go through this eclipse and then come back out again that you see spring, summer, winter, fall, and back to spring all, you know, within the span of a few minutes or an hour and a half or something like that. I think that's a really interesting concept that could be really potent to work with, difficult to work with, but potentially really powerful. Another opinion is that this is a rebirth of the sun and that it's a really great time to specifically use spellcrafting or ritual or prayer or, you know, self-healing work or self-reflection work that focuses on washing away the old, shedding skins, um, breaking down barriers and breaking through to new forms, ultimately. Um, and I think that that is uh, particularly potent with this new moon because this is the last new moon of fall. This is the last new moon of Samhain season. And this is the last new moon with the nodes in Sagittarius and Gemini. And this is specifically the last Sagittarius new moon with the nodes in Sagittarius and Gemini. So this is a really fantastic time to kind of reflect back on you know, what have, what has changed and what's, what do I need to shed and ultimately let go of here? We'll get more into that in just a second. So the, so those are some of the opinions. And then there's other opinions. Um, there's also uh, the opinion that both the moon and the sun are blocked, as we talked about before, a very traditional opinion uh, held by lots of different 
traditions and civilizations through time. The moon is blocked. The sun is blocked. That energy is on pause. It's unavailable. It is uh, inhibited in some way. It's weakened or diminished uh, in some way. Maybe even it is faulty or it is a suspect even in some way, depending on your paradigm. Um, so that's what I'm going to say about the magic of working with eclipses um, and the, the magic of this new moon. Um, so now I want to get into the actual astrology of this new moon in Sagittarius. So um, let's get into that. Uh, before we get into the actual astrology of the new moon of Sagittarius, let me also mention the super part of this super new moon. Last month we had a super new moon as well. We had a micro full moon. We're going to have another micro full moon here. What that is uh, referring to is the proximity of the moon to the earth in its orbit around our planet. Um, the earth or the moon's orbit around our planet is not a perfect circle and it wobbles a little bit and it gets a little closer in one part and it's a little further away in the other part. And so when the moon is at its closest and we're having a new or a full, it's a super. Um, and when the moon is at or near its furthest away from the earth and we're having a new or a full it's a micro and with new moons it kind of doesn't matter as much because you can't see the moon but i like to think about it in terms of, again of our magic that we're doing with the moon is it a little further is it a little closer um that sort of thing and do i want to work with that metaphor am i feeling something different there uh that thing Okay, now let's actually talk about the literal um, astrology of a Sagittarius new moon. Well, in general, a Sagittarius new moon is like, go meet some new people and go have an adventure and go travel and be in a place you've never been in before. Well, it's COVID season, honey bunny, and we've had a lot of fucking tragedy and wild ass shit going on for the last two years. So maybe just gallivanting across the planet isn't exactly the thing that all of us can engage in. Bless those who can. I'm fucking envious of you. Um, and if I could take a trip around the world right now or, you know, to a different continent, I fully would. Um, <laughs> I'll be totally, totally honest. Uh, slash Omicron, not trying to tempt your fool ass. Please stay the fuck away from me. Thank you. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to sit in my house for another year if that means that we all get to hang out again together a year and a half from now. That's, that's fine. Um, okay, so that's normally what we would be doing with a Sag New Moon. But we have been working through a really intense process with the nodes in Sagittarius and in Gemini. Now, again, a couple of weeks ago, I talked a lot about this, but just to orient us in this process... The south node has been in Sagittarius. The north node has been in Gemini for about a year and a half, almost two years. And they are about to uh, change signs and move into Taurus and Scorpio. The nodes move backwards uh, just to keep it spicy, right? And so the north node is a place where we hunger and where we draw karmic adventures and experiences to us that we will then have to process and think about and 
and you know become something because of it or whatever and then the south node represents where we should be processing out that process um, where maybe we are clinging to old behaviors or beliefs that we need to be actually letting go of, um, you know, and the process of doing that work, which can be really tough. Um, so the, the North node is also referred to as the head of the dragon and the South node is also referred to as the tail of the dragon. And the North node has been in Gemini. Um, North node in Gemini is very much, I want more information. I need more data sources. I need more places telling me what to think and, and what my opinion should be on things. And I want to have 80 tabs open with 50 million different news outlets telling me a million different things with the North that's, that's the, the worst case scenario with the North node in Gemini. It's really this hunger and this belief or this, this thinking that we have, we get really kind of obsessed with the idea that we need more information before we act, or we need to verify our, you know, our information with uh, figures of authority or um, we, you know, we will be better and we will have more control if we know more, if we have more data and more facts. Um, conversely, the South node has been in Sagittarius. The nodes are always at exactly the same degree in opposing signs. And so the South node has been in Sagittarius and the South node in Sagittarius in worst case scenarios really drums up a lot of fundamentalism and fanaticism because it encourages us to cling to old spiritual and philosophical beliefs that we have outgrown or that are no longer healthy for ourselves, no longer healthy for the group, maybe never were healthy for the group. Um, and we either are recognizing that and doing the tough work of letting go of a thing that we have held dearly and, you know, has comforted us, but now it's time to let go of it. Or um, we are clinging to things that we ought to be letting go of and not doing the work of moving through the thing and, and letting go of the thing and, and processing our stuff. So think about a lot of the experiences that we've had around information and belief in the last two years. <sighs> okay, <laughs> right? So this is really a time to consider all of the beliefs that you've had shattered over the last couple of years by seeing how other folks have it. Um, information that has been, uh, you know, groundbreaking or information that has come in and really sort of wrecked um, things that you have held very sacred, your beliefs, your religious convictions. Um, uh, this is really an examination of like your progress in your personal conversation around your awareness or your ignorance of the gap between reading about a thing and actually knowing it, actually living it, experiencing it. Um, things that you might have believed about religion and education. Um, that are radically different from how you felt or believed about that stuff before. Uh, this moon really wants you to witness all um, you have shed around beliefs and the sanctity of wisdom traditions that we have been taught not to question, whether that religion, philosophy, education, political body, whatever it is that we we have really had to take a look at all of these quote unquote traditions and question their veracity and their and their compassion, right? 
one of the things that has come up for me in this as a metaphor for this is Western pagans and Western witches facing um, not using white sage anymore, right? Does this end racism? No, clearly it doesn't. However, it is something that is a really pivotal shift. Now, I grew up burning white sage. My mom burned it. We grew up in Cal I lived in California in the 70s and 80s. It was everywhere. But that doesn't make it right. It does make it incredibly dear to me. <laughs> it does make it a plant that I feel like I have a really intimate relationship with. And in a different set of circumstances, in a different context, maybe I would have had exposure to the indigenous groups that could freely work with that plant and weren't being persecuted, right? Et cetera, et cetera, right? Maybe, maybe all of those things, maybe. But that doesn't really matter now right? It doesn't, it doesn't really ultimately matter. <laughs> Today, the thing is that, you know, whether it's a symbolic gesture or whether this is really speaking to the fragility of uh, the planet and, it, and resources, whether this is speaking to, you know, certain groups literally having access to the plant and certain people not literally having access to the plant, um, you know, other people have said like, oh, witches not burning white sage, that's just a gesture. Okay, fine. Well, it's still magic. It's still an energetic gesture. And again, are we fixing racism? No, clearly we're not. But it's, but it's a painful thing that I have held very dear and near to myself for a long time that I'm realizing this hurts, but I have to let this go. Or, you know, in a meaningful way, I need to radically reduce how much I work with this plant. Um, and I need to educate myself more about the people who were working with it well before I was. And, you know, I know what I've been taught, but is that what these people were practicing? That stuff. Um, it's that. It's not like I'm throwing witchcraft out the window. It's not that I'm throwing out the practice of burning sacred herbs. Um, it's that I am recognizing that even though this tradition is very near and dear to my heart, it is a tradition that I ultimately maybe shouldn't be practicing. And in the meantime, let me err on the side of caution, <laughs> right? Maybe decades down the road, we come back to a place where it's all good and everybody can have access to this plant. Hooray. Everything has been healed and everything we're all holding hands and it's fantastic again. But until then, you know what I mean? And so whether it's white sage or it's, you know, whatever it is, like this lunar process with the nodes has really been this challenge to like get into those like sacred cows that we hold in ourselves. Again, whether it's from higher education or it's political systems or it's philosophy or religion or occult practices or whatever, cultural practices, like why Why am I in proximity to this thing? Is that actually okay? Or do I really need to let this go even if I really, really don't want to? Even if it hurts me to do that? Is it actually healing the, the larger system? Is it actually addressing a, a, a wrong and, a, and you know, an attempt to rebalance thing back to back to neutral. That's what this moon is really, really about. And so even though it's a new moon, it is about the ending of this nodal process. It's this eclipse where we're emptying out, we're letting go, we're shedding skin, um, and ultimately clearing the way for healing practices, healthy practices, practices that are not um, 
stolen from other people, right? Practices that are rooted in a tradition that are that you have your education behind you. Where did this come from? Why were people doing it? All that stuff. That, that thing, that's what we want more of, right? <laughs> getting back to natural systems, getting back to um, also having respect for those people who have kept those traditions and understanding where appropriation and theft and obliteration of culture has, you know, resulted in you having this practice or you having this belief that that's the work of this moon. It's tough stuff, but it's so, so important. Okay. All right. For our lunar body with this new moon in Sagittarius, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, and nourishing for action our hips, our thighs, and our sciatic nerve family. As I say every week, I am not a doctor of the body. I am a doctor of the cosmos, a uh, doctor of love at times when things are going well. And uh, you should absolutely get with your trusted health advisor if you want to incorporate any of the information about lunar body health work. For our plant body work, we are harvesting. We are doing pest control and disease control. We are plowing, weeding, and pruning. And we want to be thinking about also when we are doing like pest control and disease control on our plants, we want to be thinking about, am I clearing out only the most harmful insects? I don't want to necessarily clear out insects that are going to be food sources for other animals, birds, what have you, uh, during the winter months, right? So I want to think about that too. If I'm dealing with plants outside or whatever and... You know, should I get rid of this spider? Oh my God, there's spider eggs everywhere, but maybe that's actually a good thing. Is this actually helpful? That stuff. Okay. Um, the only other thing that we have to talk about on this day, wildly enough, is literally nothing else. That's actually it. <laughs> we have no astrology for this day and we have no holy days somehow for this individual day. And that's actually uh, something that we'll see through this week, we don't have too many holy days. And it's because so many of the holy days are either these month long ish events leading up to winter solstice, or they are really, really tied to uh, the new moon or the full moon, um, that kind of thing. So uh, I, I know that we're having a new moon right now, but doesn't it sort of doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's move on to December 4th, finally. <laughs> All right, December 4th, and our waxing moon is still hanging out in Sagittarius, so you are invited to continue to do that super fun Sagittarius work that we were talking about. Um, we have no astrology of note for this day, so we are going to scoot right into the um, holy days of this day. So first off, we have the heliacal rising of the fixed star Al-Wade. Now, this dies directly into our conversation about the nodes because the moon's nodes are actually named after the constellation that this fixed star is found in. Uh, we have, as I said before, the dragon's head, which is the north node, and the dragon's tail, which is the south node. And that refers to the moon's undulating course symbolized by the twisting dragon. Um, the constellation kind of twists around the North Pole, as it were. Uh, ancient astrologers called it the nebulous star in the dragon's eye. The traditional name of this fixed star is Rastaban, and that comes from an Arabic phrase, which means the head of the serpent. So remember also that we've had this serpent uh, energy running in the background with um, 
Ophicius, Ophicucius, I always say that constellation incorrectly. So sorry to everybody who's been trying to find information on it based on my goofy uh, pronunciation. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Wild Goose Chase. Yes, let's go. <laughs> Um, another name, uh, excuse me, the, you know, the, this name Alawade, uh, that it is known by currently is also from the Arabic and it means, um, who is to be destroyed, but there is also a trace to an Arabic word, Al-Awad, which means the lute player, which is sort of an interesting thing. Um, but really, this is connecting back to a set of symbols that we've worked with uh, over the last few weeks about this serpent and the serpent handler, but specifically the serpent and where it's held and what it's doing and what it represents. And of course, it represents the power of transformation, the poison that is the healing medicine, uh, the wound that that cures, you know, that thing that is this sort of, you know, really wild and incredible horrific and ecstatic, um, uh, you know, the transmogrification of the mundane into the holy, that thing that's happening at this time of year. Um, and so it connects to that stuff too, that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Open up this head full of knowledge and we really do have the key to our ills and the healing of them. So this Heliacal Rising, all right. Also on this day, we have the Feast of Shango or Papa Shango from our Yoruba land traditions, um, our friends and ancestors. Shango is an Orisha, a deity in the Yoruba religion. Shango has numerous manifestations. He is considered to be one of the most powerful rulers in the Yoruba land. Um, he brought his prosperity to the Oyo Empire. Now, unlike his peaceful brother, Ajaka, he was a powerful and violent ruler. He reigned for seven years, which was marked by his continuous campaigns and many, many battles. His reign ended due to his inadvertent destruction of his own palace by lightning. Whoops. <laughs> now, that lightning thing, though, is important. Uh, because lightning, of course, connects us to Zeus, which connects us to Jupiter, which is the ruling planet of Sagittarius, where we are currently. Now, also interesting is in the New World, meaning the Yoruba land traditions that have come over to North and South America, um, he is syncretized with Saint Barbara and or Saint Jerome. So also on this day, interestingly enough, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, as we like to say here on the podcast, we have the Feast of Saint Barbara from our Catholic friends and ancestors. Um, and what is one of the things that Barbara rules? Lightning. Convenient. Okay. So what do we have with Barbara? Uh, Barbara was the daughter of a, supposedly, right? When we talk about the martyred saints and their stories, we have to be very careful. There's a lot of hot potato stuff. There's a lot of like, is that, did that really happen? Are you, are you sure about this? And with a lot of the saints at this particular time of year, um, they are saints that supposedly, uh, were martyred in the early 300s, mid 300s, and yet their stories aren't actually written down until the 700s or even, you know, near 1000 CE, that era. So, you know, fast and loose, maybe a little something. Yeah, okay. Also, we know that when we're dealing with saints, we are often dealing with buried pagan traditions, 
pagan deities, sometimes a pagan a deity of a local area, sometimes something larger, that thing. Okay, so we have St. Barbara who is connected to lightning. She supposedly was the daughter of a rich pagan who was carefully guarded by her father uh, who kept her locked up in a tower in order to preserve her from the outside world. Having secretly rejected uh, this whole thing, she secretly became a Christian and rejected an offer of marriage that received through her father. She's ultimately killed. Um, and all this other stuff happens with her. But what I think is very interesting there is her father's name is Dioscuros. And we have worked intimately with this word because it is another name for Gemini, which is the sign that is across from Sagittarius. What? Okay, so there's some weird, cool stuff happening there. I don't know exactly what is happening there, but it's cool. And when we think about this nodal shift and we have this stuff happening on these days, there's there's some potent energy here to really speak closely and intimately with these mythic characters, with these archetypes, with these figures, both in abstract forms as well as like concrete, like, people <laughs> and and try to work with this stuff as intimately as possible it's really cool okay also on this day uh as we move out of the first hours of the new moon we have the beginning of the greek month poseidon um takes its name directly from poseidon nothing else really to say about it and we also have the beginning of the roman month calendar december from the latin decem for 10 when this was actually the 10th month uh, of the roman calendar because you know spring was actually the beginning of the shh, we're not supposed to talk about that all right let's move on to december 5th all right, that brings us to December 5th. We have our waxing moon entering Capricorn at about 3.30 in the morning Pacific Standard Time. Um, and so that extremely fun work that we were doing in Sagittarius of having, you know, these tough conversations about, you know, with ourselves about our information sources and our beliefs that we hold that maybe are things that we need to be letting go of or having a much deeper examination conversation with ourselves now that progresses into looking at how did those traditions and beliefs that we inherited that maybe we shouldn't have um, stunt our growth or warp our aim? Um, you know, what, what uh, types of things have we been kept from um, because we weren't rooted in a different tradition? Um, in what ways, you know, using beliefs that were appropriated, for example. This isn't the only way to look at this, but it is a way to look at it. By utilizing beliefs that were appropriated, how have we actually stunted our spiritual growth? Because we weren't getting the whole picture, perhaps, right? Or for a variety of other reasons. Uh, and that's tough. That's a tough conversation to have. So I want to recognize that too. Like it's also a little abstract and I recognize that as well. Um, but with this moon, we're asking ourselves questions like, what am I really powerless against? And what might I actually have agency around? And, uh, you know, and is stuff that I'm like, oh, God, if I recognize that I have agency here, I have to actually do something. Ugh. What have you been told is impossible for your kind? Told that you, it's impossible for people like you to do these sorts of things especially through this 
weirdness around belief systems and traditions and wisdoms that have been handed to you. And, and so here's another way of interpreting that. Think of the wisdom traditions in politics, in finance, for example. Think of the wisdom that's passed down, quote unquote wisdom, that's passed down from generation to generation or from group to group about finance and economics. Um, in what ways have those worldviews warped your aim, shut things down in you before they ever got a chance to start? Because you've been told these are not things for you. These are not things that people in your tax bracket are supposed to have access to. Don't worry about it. This doesn't concern you. That kind of stuff. Funky? Yes. Uh, pay, paganism? Yes. <laughs> Witchcraft? Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and conversely, we're also looking at what we have been told will always be holy, is always sacrosanct, sacrosanct, excuse me, and we, what maybe isn't actually always holy, what maybe isn't actually something that always should be held sacred. Um, and what in you and in your beliefs is holding other people back? Because people like you aren't supposed to do this or people like that aren't supposed to do this. That kind of stuff. Like, you know, where have you been made into a tool or a vessel of, um, you know, keeping it bad for other people, right? Oppressing other people. It's, it's heavy-handed language. I get that. But it's important that we look at these things, like I said, we, that we examine these holy cows that we have been given in these realms of wisdom, spiritual wisdom, financial wisdom, political wisdom, educational wisdom, um, and really ask ourselves, like, what is this? Why am, why am I carrying this? Is this okay? Or is this actually really damaging for me to believe <laughs> for myself and for other people? Like, what, what is this? What is going on with this? Um, okay. So while we are working with our waxing moon in Capricorn for our lunar body work, we are awakening, adorning, activating, stimulating, and nourishing for action the bones, skin, hair, and nails. So yes, your witch is saying that uh, going and getting a mani-pedi or uh, you know a sugar scrub is actually holy work this week, okay? Like, it's for the group. It's for everyone when I do this. And for our plant body work... We are working on structures and supports and fences. Um, if you are thinking about building a garden bed to work in next year, if you have access to property or land or a yard of some kind, this is a great time to do it. If you're thinking about installing windowsill boxes, great time to do it. If you're thinking about um, you know, buying pots for your plants and upgrading that situation or, or getting a better uh, plant stand, or maybe your vining plants would actually... Uh, benefit by having a trellis installed. This is a great moon to do it. Okay, we have, again, no astrology for December 5th, uh, but we do have three different holy days, which have some pretty cool uh, wintertime spooky end of Samhain moment uh, symbolism. Starting off with December 5th, Krampus knocked everybody's favorite Halloween Christmas bad guy. I have deep and profound love for Krampus, as do millions of people across the world, um, from very or relatively obscure pagan and folk tradition to new wintertime hooligan, redonkulous, uh, act a fool in the streets, winter holiday favorite pastime 
for people all around the planet. Krampusnacht is becoming really, really popular, and there are big processions and parades that last all day and all night throughout a variety of different cities and villages across Europe. So who is this incredibly fabulous character? Okay, Krampus is a horned anthropomorphic figure in Alpine folklore who, during the Christmas season, scares children who have misbehaved. Ha ha ha! Get in my basket, heathens! Okay. Uh, <laughs> now, Krampus assists St. Nicholas. Um, and this is an interesting tidbit here. It's not just St. Nicholas. We have Krampus and St. Nicholas, and we have another winter father time deity named Dead Morose, who we will talk about more in just a second. Um, so St. Nicholas, or Santa Claus, and Krampus uh, hang out, party, and then they go and visit children on the night of the 5th of December with St. Nicholas rewarding the well-behaved children with modest gifts such as oranges or dried fruit, walnuts, chocolate, that kind of thing. While the bad kids, hi, uh, <laughs> only receive punishment from campus with birch rods. Yeah! So uh, if you're good, you get an orange, but if you're bad, you get whipped. So, you know, <laughs> choose your adventure. Okay, now... Let's get into this bit a bit. So Krampus is an incredible character, really, really cool. Horns, big tusks, gigantic lolling red tongue uh, hanging out of his mouth, its mouth, uh, sometimes cloven hooves. Um, but in and of themselves, cool character, uh, fun, right? Great at parties, uh, obviously great with kids. Um, but for me, there is a whole lot of the physical symbolism that connects me to goat and pan type deities, but also Gorgon deities, because in particular, it's that uh, combination of the big tusks and the big lolling tongue that we see with Gorgon deities like Kali or Medusa, um, and certainly would be in the same vibe category, right? Like spooky, coming to get you sort of stuff. Okay, now let's take into account that Krampus knocked is not, or Krampus is not working alone. Krampus is actually working with St. Nicholas, AKA Santa Claus, and this other character named Dead Moroz. Who is Dead Moroz? This is basically Grandfather Frost, and they have holy days that are much closer to New Year's, literally like December 31st, um, but on the other side of winter solstice, right? Like, like another week or 10 days after winter solstice. Um, what does Grandfather Frost look like? They are dressed in silver, white, blue, and sometimes they travel with their granddaughter, who's like the Maiden of Frost, the Maiden of Winter. So now we have the white, silver, uh, like, old man slash young girl combination right here, and then we have Santa all in red, and then we have Krampusnacht all in black. Oh, that's very interesting. That kind of looks like the triple goddess. <clears throat> I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Anyways, digging a little bit deeper into this character's name, Dead Moroz, another version that we find in the Slavic region is Jed Mraz. That's D-J-E-D, -E Jed. And this is a word that we find tracing back to ancient Egypt. Uh, one of my favorite deities to talk about in springtime, Beneb Jedet, has Jed right there in the middle of it. What is Jed? Jed is an Egyptian word for 
pillar. Now, this the the uh, hieroglyphic is thought to actually be a, a type of image of the human backbone or the spine. And so the jed as a pillar is literally the spine. It would be painted on the bottom of sarcophagi. Um, so literally the jed pillar would be painted, you know, where the spine of the body was going to lay. Now we have the really obvious connection with um, Jed Maraz being called Grandfather Frost, we know that St. Nicholas or Santa Claus is also referred to as a father or a grandfather type of character. So we definitely have like ancestor energy there as well as kind of that Oak King energy that's going to be coming in very strongly at winter solstice, right? The wizened sage, the, the elder version of that God energy, the matured version of that God energy, wisdom based, right? All that stuff. But what I also think is really, really cool is the connection between the idea of Jed as a pillar, as the spine or the backbone, as ancestor, like literally thinking about our ancestors as our backbone, our thing that holds us up and holds us upright, like holds us up to things too, right? Um, but that also gives us our framework. Again, we're in the moon uh, ruled by Capricorn. It rules the spine, it, ru it specifically rules the skeleton. Um, and so in, in what ways do our ancestors and the things that our fathers and grandfathers, which we'll get more into here in just a second when the moon moves into Aquarius, um, in what ways are metaphorical ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, genetic, cultural, all of those people who, you know, built the world that we are now inhabiting, um, in what way did they participate in that stuff that we've been talking about with the moon and formulating our world, right? In what way did they become the skeleton of our paradigm? That's really like what is coming through really strongly for me in this combination of stuff. Um, and I think that's just really incredible imagery, that idea of the jed, the pillar, the spine, ancestor, the skeleton of our of our parad paradigm, um, our our fathers, our grandfathers, the energy of the of you know, the universe and our community and our culture and our family that fathered us and brought us into those things like you know, in what ways have they really structured and formulated what we think is possible for ourselves as people and what we think is not meant for us? And where can we question and grow in all of that with so much love, right? As we've talked about so many times, when it comes to this stuff, it's like these people were doing the best that they thought was they th for the most part people were doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing not necessarily in the moral sense but like this is what i have to do to survive this is what i have to do to make it through the world um and that's not always a great place to act from but we want to have compassion for our ancestors and all of those parts of ourselves that want to act from those really desperate places <laughs> scared places um you know shut down uh paranoid places right um, but we don't, we don't want to act from those places, but we want to have love and compassion and understanding for them. It's the same when it comes through as ancestor voice, it's the same. It's like, Hey, I get it. Like <laughs> you had to make some gnarly ass decisions because that's what you thought had to happen to like, keep yourself alive and keep your situation going. We don't have to make those same decisions. Um, and why you made those things and how you saw the world is really structuring how I see the world. And I don't know if I want that. 
I don't know if I want your structure imposed on my paradigm. Again, I know this is super abstract. It's heavy handed and it's, it's, it's tough work to do, especially as we're going into the holiday season. Oh my God. And I, and <laughs> side note, I think that this is a big top part of why Romans were like, no, throw a Mercurtus in there. Like we, we got to get people shopping again. Like that's, I think a big part of why there is such a massive push towards consumerism is like, we don't, we don't want you to reflect as a person. We don't want you to have these kinds of deep questioning moments where you question society and tradition. And we want you to, we want to just tell you what to do and you believe us. And then you go buy the stuff that we say is going to make you happy. Um, you know, maybe I'm biased on that, but I, I do think that there's something that to that. <laughs> All right. Also on this day, <laughs> we have very cool, the, the Feast of St. Lucia. Uh, this is from uh, Italy in particular. She is really venerated there, but this is our Catholic friends and ancestors. Um, now, Lucia, St. Lucia, important as a saint. Um, she is one of eight women, including St. Mary, that is explicitly commemorated by Roman Catholics in the canon of the Mass. So there's not a lot of women. Surprise, I know, with Catholicism, I know it's a big, big feminist group there. But not a lot of women venerated, not a lot of female figures, past or present, um, play major roles. But she does. Now, the Christian tradition states um, that... Uh, uh, St. Lucia, another situation, I think that there was a marriage and she didn't want to get married and something, something. Anyways, she's ultimately thrown in prison and tortured and put through a, a lot of grief. Uh, and at some point, the guards come to take her away and they cannot move her. And at some point, they actually hitch a team of oxen to her and they cannot move her body. So instead, they just pile up wood around her where she is to light her on fire and burn her and they can't get it to light um, so ultimately, uh, somebody sticks a sword in her throat, you know, just had to be done, I guess. <laughs> Yikes. Um, now, uh, if for those who've been um, following along with the podcast for several months, you'll remember in Lunasod season, we began a whole series of deaths and woundings and sacrifices of kings and gods and heroes and other powerful types um, where there was a wound to the neck or the throat or the face or the head or something along those lines, but strangulation and beheading and all of that stuff, very, very popular. Um, and I think that this saint is possibly connected to that tradition um, because also, you know, her name, right? Her Latin name, Lucia, shares a root with the Latin word for light or lux. Now, a number of traditions incorporate symbolic meaning of St. Lucy or St. Lucia as the bearer of light in the darkness of winter. Um, some of her uh, versions of her story relate that her eyes were removed either by herself or by her persecutors. And that she, so she's the patron saint of the blind. Um, blindness uh, and her, there's lots of pictures of her carrying a golden plate with her eyes on it. The thing about the eyes didn't seem to come along until much later uh, in the records of her her story. Um, so that's, again, one of those things of like, you know, this this got added literally hundreds of years later, or there's no trace of it earlier than that is maybe another way to say that. But very interesting character, right? Lucia, like the light. And of course, we know that as we move into the very end of Samhain season and then ultimately the beginning of Winter Solstice, the diminishment and the return of the light, pretty big deal. Um 
But yeah, St. Lucia carries some really interesting myth and symbol there. And uh, um, I'm always excited to talk about her. All right, let's move on to December 6th. All right, that brings us to December 6th. We still have our waxing moon hanging out in Capricorn. So another day to do all that really fun uh, examining, uh, you know, questioning of everything you've ever been taught. It's fine. Uh, also on this day, <laughs> we have a little bit of astrology. Finally, we have almost no astrology. We have almost no transits this week. I was like, hello? Are the planets still out there? What are you guys doing? <laughs> What do we have for this day? We have Mars in Scorpio, sextile Pluto in Capricorn at 25 degrees. Dun, dun, dun. Now, generally speaking, Mars and Pluto transits, uh, everybody's got a little side eye or outright like, oh no, about them. But sextile, actually pretty fantastic. This is a great time for making needed shifts to the plan the plan, right? Capital T, capital P, AKA the goals that you have in your life. What's your trajectory? And I think this is actually like, maybe despite the lunar work, maybe because of the lunar work, I think this is a really cool time to have this conversation with yourself. Like, what do I want versus like what I've been told I'm supposed to be aiming for? Group goals are also easier to achieve under this transit. So if you work with a group or you're wanting to get more involved in things that are important to your community, this could be a really great um, transit to do that kind of work under and make those types of connections. Not necessarily going to get things done on this day, but it's a great day to kind of lay that groundwork and make those connections. Um, you might have to push really hard to actually physically get anything done in the real world <laughs> because it is Pluto, right? That's a pretty slow moving planet. But if you can wrangle this energy, your successes can far outreach what you would normally be able to accomplish. They are very far reaching and they're a lot more permanent, right? That's again, that Plutonian influence. This is also a really fantastic day to see your internal blocks as well, or getting clear about what you want. So again, right in the pocket, what we're already talking about with um, the, the lunar work that we're doing with Sag questioning and now Capricorn questioning and examining, you know, this is also saying like, hey, what are my internal blocks? <laughs> like what, what's going on here? And what do I really, really want out of this life? And what do I need? to to get forward to get ahead in in what i'm doing if you are clear about these things it's full steam ahead the only thing i would advise is like don't bully people don't get ahead of yourself don't be a boss to people that you're not a boss of you know don't be trying to manage shit that you're not the manager of um you know so there's that okay let's move now into the holy days of December 6th. And what do we have? Well, it kicks it off with, from our Catholic friends and ancestors, St. Nicholas's Day. Hey! Okay. Um, St. Nicholas was also known as Nicholas the Wonder Worker because of all of his miracles uh, that he is attributed to. St. Nicholas is the patron saint of folks like sailors and merchants, connected to Gemini, uh, archers, Sagittarius, repentant thieves, yeah, sure, whatever, prostitutes, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students in various cities and countries around the world. 
His legendary reputation uh, bloomed out of his habit for secret gift giving. Um, and ultimately this gave rise to the model of Santa Claus, St. Nick through Sinterklaas. But don't get it twisted. This is not the only wintertime character that gave gifts out. That brings us to the Roman festival of the great goddess Bonadia. Um, this is from our Roman ancestors and friends. Uh, Roman, uh, excuse me, Bonadia is Latin for the good goddess. This is a, a title that she would have had. What her real name was has been lost to history as far as we know. Um, Bonadia was a goddess in ancient Roman religion. She was associated with chastity and fertility, supposedly, in Roman women. Healing, protection of the state and the people, yada, yada, yada. You know how all that goes with the Romans. Um, but here's where we get into some more important stuff. Her rites allowed women the use of strong wine and blood sacrifice, things otherwise forbidden to them by Roman tradition. And this is definitely later Rome. Um, men were barred from her mysteries, which is part of why we don't have her real name written down anywhere. <laughs> and uh, the possession of her true name. There we go. Uh, given that male authors had limited knowledge of her rights and attributes, ancient speculations about her identity abound. So some people connect her to goddesses like Terra or Ops, Kybel, Sibyl, Ceres, um, some kind of a Latin form of the Greek goddess Damia, which uh, would connect her to Demeter. Um, most often she was identified as the wife or the sister or the daughter of the god Faunus, thus an equivalent or an aspect of the nature goddess Fauna who could prophesy the fates of women. So here we are connecting to prophecy and divinatory practices for this time of year, but very dedicated here, right, to women and uh, women's work, it's weirding, right, cunning work. Um, Bonadia's cults in the city of Rome were led by the Vestal Virgins, um, and her provincial cults were led by virgin or matron priestesses. Surviving statuary shows her as a sedate Roman matron with a cornucopia in one hand and a snake in the other hand. Images of the goddess show her enthroned clad in chitin and mantle, and on her left arm she has her cornucopia a sign of abundant generosity and fruitfulness. We see lots of different deities carry the cornucopia in Roman Greek uh, symbolism, especially deities that we're finding here in this portion of the year, right? But then also in her right hand, she holds a bowl which feeds a serpent coiled around her right arm. And this is a sign of her healing and regenerative powers. And this absolutely connects us to this fixed star symbolism that we have been working with for a few weeks now. Wow, what? Holy moly. And this, of course, is part of the gift that Bonadia is distributing is this healing, this poison that heals, the wound that cures, that thing. Um, persons dedicated to her were attested amongst all classes, especially the plebeians, the freedmen, and women, and slaves. Um, and so her rituals were, uh, they included nocturnal rites conducted predominantly or exclusively by female initiates and female priestesses. This is one of the few deities and ritual collections that slaves and prostitutes and people that were in those subjected 
portions of society were able to fully participate in if they wanted to. One of the other things that I think is really, really cool is that Bonadilla had two holidays in the year. This one at this time of year is one. The other one, May 1st. Yeah, that's Beltane. Wait, what? <laughs> so now we have two things in this week that are connecting us from Samhain season to Beltane season, which are the naturally opposing holidays on the wheel. Okay, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, when her festivals came up, we're not going to get into all of the stuff. If you want to check her out, there's a ton of information on Wikipedia about this goddess. She is really, really cool. She connects to a lot of really cool practices and stuff. Um, but her house was ritually cleansed of all male persons and presences, even male animals and male portraits. Uh, then the magistrate's wife and her assistants would make bowers of vine leaves and decorated the house's banquet hall with all manner of growing and blooming plants, except for myrtle, uh, which shows up in one of her myths in a really bad way. Um, there's a banquet table provided for her. The Vestals would bring her cult image from her temple and lay it on a couch. And she was given food and drink. Um, and then everybody else parties all night. And it's all women, as far as the eye can see. Delicious. Uh, female musicians, female attendants, everything. Fun, games, music, and of course, wine. Uh, referred to as milk. Um, so even there, this idea that like, this is coming from the breasts of the goddess. This is like for femme, like femme for femme. It's femme for femme, like as hard as it's going to get <laughs> with Bonadilla. That's what's up. Um, the rites sanctified the temporary removal of customary constraints imposed on Roman women of all classes by Roman tradition and underlined the pure and lawful sexual potency of virgins and matrons in a context that excluded any reference to a male person or creature, male lust or seduction, AKA the male gaze. According to Cicero, any man who caught even a glimpse of the rites could be punished by blinding. Wait, what? Didn't we just talk about a saint? Wait, it's, uh, <clears throat> huh? <laughs> I'm sure it's just a coincidence. <laughs> All right, let's move on to December 7th. All right, that brings us to December 7th, where we find a waxing crescent moon in Aquarius at zero degrees at approximately 4.50 a.m. Pacific Standard Time later in the day for everybody else around the planet. What is going on with this waxing crescent moon in Aquarius? Okay, so we have this like deep examining of beliefs that we are letting go of even where it's painful to do that, right? And then we're looking at the systems and the and some of the people, but really the systems that were kind of responsible for teaching us like this is the way of the world. This is just how stuff is. And now as we come into this crescent moon with Aquarius, we are really doing the work to examine the people specifically who taught us those beliefs and those sacrosanct rules of life, the dads of our life, the granddads of our life, regardless of gender, regardless of biological connection, right? Nearly all of us. Well, I would say 
all of us humans on Earth have been exposed to the concept of dadness or fatherness, right? We have either been in close proximity to that idea or we've been really distant from it, but there's very few of us on Earth that haven't been exposed to that idea. So that thing, what is that stuff for you? Um, you know, when I say the words dad or father, what is that thing? What is that person? What is that energy for you? Um, we have all just about had folks near or distant, like I said, that represent that dad energy. And we all have dad energy in us, regardless of being parents of flesh babies. We all have projects that we dad or that we father, right? How do we dad our life? That thing. Um, and like I said, you know, how do the words dad and father sit in you? What is that thing? Um, how do you express your dad energy? Um, you know, or do you? Um, but more importantly, or not necessarily more importantly, but also equally important is thinking about the people and the systems that were representing dad energy or father energy for you that taught you that stuff that ultimately maybe has stunted you or like pointed you in a weird direction, that thing. Um, it is time to look at those beings as part of the sources of that stuff that we are working on earlier in the week. And again, despite or because, despite or be, or perhaps because of this lunar work, this is also another really fantastic moon to make some fantastic plans uh, for your future, like to take a really, really good look and, and make some plans for your future. So all of these days, in my opinion, that are good days for looking at the future, for planning, for, you know, those are great days to ask for advice, ritual, prayer, divination, go see your astrologer, go see your tarot reader, um, you know, your, your person, your people, your, your guides, excellent days for that type of stuff. When we are working with this waxing crescent moon in Aquarius, for our lunar body, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, and nourishing for action, the legs, especially the knees. And then for our plant body, we are harvesting, we are doing pest and disease control, we are plowing, and we are weeding. Now, today also has more astrology. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? We actually have two transits on this day. <laughs> Woo! Um, and they sit kind of funny with our lunar work. They sit kind of funny, but necessary with a lot of the other stuff that's going on in the week. So the first thing is Mercury and Sagittarius square Neptune in Pisces at 20 degrees. Now, this can create considerable levels of confusion for you and or the people around you. This is a day where generally it's like derp alert, derp alert. <laughs> uh, communication is off. Timing is off. You know, the text message gets sent 30 seconds too late or five minutes too early, or it gets sent to, you know, an email that's off by one letter or, you know, something along those lines, right? Things are too good to be true on this day. And we may find ourselves really idealizing people or situations um, and seeing way more than there actually is to something, being way more generous to a person or a situation than, than maybe we ought to be. Um, and conversely, you might feel like um, holding back info. You might feel really secretive on this day and that 
probably is actually just going to make things more foggy and confusing. Um, <laughs> and so one of the best roads for this day is to just as lovingly as possible, be as clear and straightforward as you can in whatever is going on. If you're having a tough convo rather than like, Oh, I'm just going to circumvent the truth. Just say the bitch, just say the shit, be loving, say, I'm trying to find my words, all that thing, you know, whatever, be kind to yourself in the moment also, but also say the thing, just, just be, just be honest, just be straightforward. Um, this is not a good day for making deals, for, you know, engaging in negotiations. Uh, this is not a good day for work or effort or conversations that require a ton of details. You're not going to remember stuff. You're going to get stuff wrong. But it's a fantastic day for being really dreamy, doing occult work or religious work or mystical work, being really sensitive, doing spiritual stuff, all of that. Super, super supported by this, 100%. Um, but but also a day where things are like very nebulous, very foggy, very, very confusing, like too dreamy in places where it's like, I need to do work here. Too bad. <laughs> we're, we're goofing off. Okay. Also on this day, we have Mars in Scorpio square Jupiter in Aquarius. Now let me say this Mars square Jupiter can be a fantastic transit. If, we can wrangle our fool asses. Okay. So it can be a fantastic day for working on projects, getting closer to goals because we are super future oriented. Uh, we are engaging in really like intelligent planning. Our foresight is really sharp on this day. We're like, fuck yeah, let's do this. Let's get it. Let's go. But what often can happen with the Mars square Jupiter transit is that we get really wrapped up in unjustified optimism. We get really wrapped up in like really expansive, overly generous thinking in situations. Uh, we can also totally overestimate our own capacity for stuff and totally wang our shit out of whack. So that sits like uh, with that Mercury stuff, right? The Mercury square Neptune is like, oh, it's already foggy and goofy and cloudy and nebulous and weird and confusing with that. And now we have this other thing that's like, you know, also with the Mercury Neptune thing, too good to be true, right? choosing to go with the idyllic version rather than the more realistic version. And now this Mars and Jupiter thing is also encouraging that sort of overestimating the potential of a thing or being too generous about something. So just really watch yourself on this day. This could be a great day dreaming about the future, moving closer to your personal goals, but not committing to some new thing, not bringing in some new element, um, and not necessarily like buying into somebody else's dream on the thing take some notes on that stuff, but let's commit to it on a different day. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the holy days of December 7th. We actually only have a couple of little things. So I'm just going to pop it in right here. One from December 7th to December 17th. We have the Geminids meteor shower. There's nothing really exciting to say about that. The full moon is going to be right smack dab in the middle of that. So, um, or, you know, ish. Um, and so it's not going to be a super great, uh, meteor shower sesh because the full moon is going to block out a lot of the light. All right. 
Also, from December 7th to December 20th, approximately, we have the Shalako dances uh, and ceremonies from our Hopi and Zuni friends and ancestors. The Shalako is a series of dances and ceremonies conducted by the Zuni people for the Zuni people at the winter solstice. And so this is a festival that starts now-ish and leads up to winter solstice, as we have talked about before, with a lot of Native American ceremonies. They are connected to... Um, like a helical rising of a fixed star. This one is connected to new moons and full moons. Um, but also because of um, Western schedule being sort of superimposed over Native American uh, indigenous culture and rhythms, um, a lot of these festivals are moved to whatever the weekend is that's going to be the most convenient for the most people in the tribe. Um but these dances and ceremonies are dedicated to uh, the shalakos. They're usually uh, held following the harvest, as I said, leading up to winter solstice. They brought good fortune, abundant crops, and many children, uh, the, the shalakos. They are chosen at winter solstice when they begin to learn the chants that they will recite in early December ceremony. The shalako festival uh, starts on or about December 1st. I have it December 7th through 20th in my calendar. Again, this is approximate. All of these days are probably wrong in some years in some regions. Uh, but this is a remarkable sacred drama enacted in the open uh, for the double purpose of invoking the divine blessing upon certain uh, newly built houses and a rendering of thanks to the gods for the harvests of the year. And as I often say on the podcast, I highly recommend that you go find a vetted source uh, to pay <laughs> to teach you more about Zuni and Hopi tradition if you are wanting to know more about Kachina and the other incredible dances um, and deities that uh, these cultures work with. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. A lot of this stuff is closed traditions. Um, they may have educational sources online. They may even have the occasional photograph or a piece of video. Um, but a lot of these are not things that, that uh, Westerners or, or people outside of the tribe are, are invited to attend. They're usually kept private for the tribe, which I think is really, really cool, which is also why I encourage, like, I want to talk a little bit about it and let you know this is happening. But if you want more information about it, go to uh, an authorized source uh, and get, get information directly from Zuni or Hopi folks. All right, let's move on to December 8th. All right, that brings us to December 8th. We still have our waxing moon hanging out in Aquarius doing all of that super fun stuff. We have no astrology for this day, so let's get right into the holy days of December 8th. And that brings us to the heliacal rising of the fixed star Raz Algeti. This is in the head of the kneeling man, a.k.a. Hercules. Now, um, the traditional name Raz Algeti or Raz Algeti is from the Arabic, which means the head of the kneeler. That's pretty much all I have. But what I think is really interesting is that we have... Um, well, we have Chiron energy because we're in Sagittarius season. Chiron is a centaur, Sagittarius is a centaur, and um, uh, uh, Hercules is who gives Chiron their mortal wound that they have to carry. And we have so much of that symbolism already here uh, in this season. It's just interesting to me. All right. Also on this day, we have the Immaculate Conception of Mary from our Catholic friends and ancestors, 
The Immaculate Conception of Mary is one of the four Marian dogmas of the Catholic Church, meaning that it is held to be divinely revealed truth and to deny it is heresy. Well, we do engage in a fair bit of heretical actions on the podcast, don't we? Uh, but we'll leave it alone today. Uh, <laughs> it states that Mary, through God's grace, was conceived free from the stain of original sin through her role as the mother of God, a.k.a. because she was preggers and decided to, well, she didn't decide, it was decided for her, uh, that she was going to be the vessel that carried a baby, um, that made her special. Wow, it sounds like a lot of uh, what's going on in America today, doesn't it? Huh, weird, gross. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Moving on, also on this day, we have the Feast of Iroko uh, from our Yoruba land friends and ancestors. Iroko is an orisha of abundance and prosperity. It is said his spirit resides inside the Iroko tree found in West Africa. Uh, there isn't a cognate to that tree in the Caribbean, or excuse me, that tree doesn't exist in the Caribbean, nor in the Americas. Um, and so Iroko is syncretized with the Siba tree or Kaiba tree. Um, it is said that all the orishas gather at the base of Iroko. Iroko's numbers are seven and eight. His feast day is December 8th, and his colors are green and turquoise. Also interesting to me, um, Iroko is syncretized with the Immaculate Conception. And Iroko is uh, this wood, this hardwood, the Iroko tree, and it's used in making djembes, uh, which are a type of drum. And I don't know anything after that. I just think that those are all really interesting connections. Okay, also on this day, we have from our Buddhist friends and ancestors, Bodhi Day. Bodhi Day is the Buddhist holiday that commemorates the day that the historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, um, Shakyamuni Buddha, experienced enlightenment, also known as Bodhi in Sanskrit. According to tradition, Siddhartha had recently forsaken years of extreme ascetic practices and resolved to sit under a Bodhi tree and simply meditate until he found the root of suffering and how to liberate oneself from it. So this commemorates that dope-ass moment when it finally kicked in and he was like, aha! Um, the very Sagittarius kind of gig, right? <laughs> From our uh, Japanese Shinto friends and ancestors, we have the festival Harikuyo Number no. 1. Now, this is the Japanese Buddhist and Shinto festival of broken needles. This is also celebrated in February, on February 8th. So we see it on December 8th and February 8th. Um, that's going to be in, uh, in bulk season. Um so it's February 8th in the Kanto region, December 8th in the Kyoto and Kansai regions. It is celebrated by women in Japan as a memorial to all the sewing needles broken in their service during the past year and as an opportunity to pray for improved skills. It is also called the Needle Mass and Pin Festival. Hari means needle and the suffix kuyo means memorial, derived from a Sanskrit word, uh, puja actually, or pujana, which means to bring offerings. Also on this day, yeah, we have actually several holy days for a change, right? Also on this day, we have a very little known, not well recorded 
festival from our Greek friends and ancestors called Plerosia. 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 Little is known about this festival. It appears to be related to the Prorosia festival. Um, as the ancient Greek dictionary says it is equivalent, the etymology of the name suggests that it might be related to plerotes or fullness. And that's an interesting thing. We can think of that fullness idea potentially being connected to the end of the harvest. Um, we can think of that fullness thing as potentially being connected to um, the winter solstice cycle of the sun being emptied out and then refilling again. But that fully could just be my modern projections onto this. So let me just say that. Like, those are just ideas that I have. I don't I don't know that there is a historical connection there. Um, but what is interesting to me is that this festival is known to be part of the sacred festival of uh, the grain cycle within ancient Greece that includes Thesmophoria and Haloa and the lesser mysteries, the Eleusinian mysteries, um, Thargelia, etc., etc. Also on this day, we have from our Roman friends and ancestors the festival of Phanalia, and this is related to the Bonadia festival um, and these other couple of festivals that popped up that are connecting Fauna and Phanalia, um, ultimately connecting to the natural world, the energy of the natural world. Remember, um, the Greeks are a lot closer to the equator than we are up here in Seattle, <laughs> most of us here in North America. Um, are much, much further away. So there is a, a difference in weather and that sort of stuff. But I think that I, th I also think that it's just interesting that there seems to be this emphasis of finalia and um, nature spirits at this time of year, even though we are heading into the darkest part of the year. All right, that brings us to December 9th. All right, my good witches, that brings us to December 9th, where we find a waxing moon moving into Pisces. Um, it's going to move into Pisces at about 6.53 in the morning Pacific Standard Time, approximately exactly 6.53 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, <laughs> later in the day for everybody else around the planet. But I'm including that just so that you can see that we, we're going to have like a day before we, you know, a day of Pisces moon before we get to the actual um, waxing half moon in Pisces on December 10th. Um, and why I'm underscoring that is because this Pisces moon is extremely dreamy and it's very fantasy oriented. Um, so let me say first off that the work that, uh, the, the lunar progression has asked of us this week is a lot. It's intense. And so this could be a really nice little emotional and psychological vacation day for you. Like, hey, I've been doing hard work. Let me take a day off from my hard work. Also witness if maybe you are regressing a little bit back to younger or, you know, less power oriented persons versions of yourself. Um, you know, all of that stuff does thinking about dad energy and father energy lead you into a childlike place in you. Um, 
the Pisces moon really supports that. And in some ways that could be really healing in some ways that could be a bit escapist. But again, as I have talked about with some of our other astrology this year, when we are encouraged to engage in escapist behaviors, I'm like, Hey, you know what? <laughs> it's been a tough couple of fucking years. You want to zone out for a few hours? Have at it, my friend. You want to binge Netflix and like, you know, totally dominate some game on your phone for seven hours on the couch? Get it. <laughs> Enjoy. Help yourself. Um, I say that, you know, rest and restoration is wildly important and dreaming and fantasizing is wildly important. And when we have been doing a lot of really tough work in the real world, we must give ourselves some little fantasy vacations into our imagination, into our dreams, into our hopes to rekindle that energy, refill that cup in ourselves. that, that thing. So however you would like to use this moon, it's here. <laughs> however you want to work with it it's here for you um it's dreamy it's fantasy oriented when you want to escape what do you want to go what do you want to do where do you want to go um and what pulls you there what 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 makes that be an escapist thing for you in the first place like why that stuff um the other thing, the only other thing I'm going to say about this moon is just make sure that you take care of yourself. It can be a day where we really detach. We really, really escape. So make sure you eat some food, take a shower, stretch your body, breathe, drink enough water. That's all. That's all. For our lunar body work, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, nourishing for action. The legs, especially the ankles and the feet. And we're going to talk about this more next week's podcast when we actually have the waxing half moon and for our plant body work we are planting transplanting and grafting there is no astrology for this day and we only have one holy day and it is suspect no it's not <laughs> this is the feast of athena in our modern pagan calendars now we've talked about the modern pagan calendars a lot on the podcast if you're new i'll remind you um the wheel of the year practice is something that is gaining in popularity and people have been publishing wheel of the year calendars and calendars of pagan holidays and pagan festivals on websites on the internet for the last 20 years plus some of that information is accurate historically speaking uh some of that information is interesting <laughs> it's inspired <laughs> you can say it that way and and what is important about this is to remember that yeah we do have some things written down but we have lost a lot of our history or we haven't translated things yet or we haven't translated them correctly or whatever right so there are plenty of places where pagans have had to make stuff up that's a lot of the reclamationist or the, 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 the reclaiming movement and the reconstructionist movement within modern paganism is some of this stuff may be lost forever. Do we want to just have a gap here or do we want to fill it in with something else and reconstruct, you know, something for the modern era? So we have, I have a lot of these modern pagan adapt adaptation holidays included in the calendar because I really want to respect the work that modern pagans have done, whether it's been hunting down research or it's been imagining and feeling inspired that's like, yes, let's have a holiday here. 
So Feast of Athena at this time of year, is that appropriate? By some calendars, no, it's totally not. Um, our big festivals dedicated to Athena are going to be in July. They're usually in Letha season. Um, they're across the high part of summer in a lot of our Greek traditions. But Athena is a wisdom goddess. She's a virgin wisdom goddess, right? A very interesting combination of virgin and crone type energy. And we've seen a bunch of that stuff already this week. She connects to, and in the past few weeks, I mean to say as well, she connects to the Roman Minerva, the Canaanite Anat goddess, uh, Egyptian Neith, Celtic Sulis. Um, and so, you know, just to name a few of these various goddesses that are very similar to her. So it is, you know, mythically and symbolically, archetypally, it's totally appropriate to have a holiday or a feast dedicated to this goddess at this time of year, because she is a wisdom goddess. And she absolutely connects to this other family of wisdom goddesses. And also, we have historical documentation of her having holidays in the other time of year, the the high part of year at, at summer. But isn't that also interesting? Because we see that too here as we move into the very end of Samhain season, how we have stuff in Samhain that connects to Imbolc, uh, or we have stuff in Samhain that connects to Beltane, right? Opposing on the wheel. So isn't it also interesting as we're moving closer to winter solstice that we maybe have some holidays dedicated to goddesses that are worshipped closer to summer solstice. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. It's something to think about. Beep, beep. All right. That's, <laughs> that's the end of the week. Let's get into the roundup. <laughs> All right. Here's our roundup. Our lunar phases this week are moving from Sagittarius to Pisces, and this is all mutable sign energy. That is all about moving into the transitional energy of mutable signs with our sun in Sagittarius signaling the end of fall. So these signs and this lunar work is really here to help us transition out of what we've been doing and transition to what we're going to be doing for the next three months or so. Uh, for our astrology this week, we hardly have any at all. On December 6th, we have Mars in Scorpio, sextile Pluto in Capricorn at 25 degrees. On the December 7th, the December 7th, <laughs> we have Mars in Sagittarius, square Neptune in Pisces at 20 degrees. And on that same day, we have Mars in Scorpio, sextile, excuse me, square Jupiter in Aquarius at 26 degrees. Um, next week, we have Mars moving into Sagittarius and we have Mercury moving into Capricorn, joining Venus and Pluto. And so when the sun rolls in for that month's period, basically when, when we move into Capricorn on uh, winter solstice, we are going to have four freaking planets in Capricorn hanging out. That's a lot guys. Uh, you know, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm saying it again now. If you love this podcast, um, thank you so much for your support. Please leave a like, a thumbs up. If you have listened this long, maybe send me a tip. 
<laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Join my Patreon. Check it out. It's pretty cool. Maybe sign up for my newsletter, which I send out some of the time. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'm going to be more consistent with that, but I'm not going to say how much more consistent and then lock myself into something unrealistic. <laughs> um, but give it a like, give it a thumbs up, leave a comment, save the the download it, all that shit. It really helps with the algorithms. Um, and, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the feedback. Thanks for, um, taking this wild ass ride with me as we, you know, weave the tapestry, right? That's what's up. We are weaving the tapestry with the threads we have been given. We always have the option to put down threads and pick up new ones to check the weft to consider the pattern, to um, think about the dyes and think about the wool. We have all of the responsibility and the right to always question what has been handed to us and why am I continuing to use it? Am I okay with this? Or is this something that I need to put down? That is the work I encourage you to do this week. Be gentle with yourself. Be kind with yourself. As I always say, it's tough work. So it's always okay to put yourself in timeout. Don't forget. It's always okay to say, hey, I can't make that decision today. Can I please get back to you tomorrow? Um, it's always okay to do that. Blessed be, heathens. Have a good week. <laughs>